Okay, everybody, welcome to This Week in Startups for a Friday. It's a solo dolo, Jason Newsday. I'm back to going solo because Molly has a well-earned vacation. We're going to do a full Coinbase breakdown ahead of their earnings report next week. We'll also cover that. But we're going to talk about their stock having a massive comeback. And this new partnership they have with BlackRock for institutional trading. Just when you thought crypto was over, it looks like Coinbase is uh, making some progress. Then we're going to cover another Amazon acquisition. Amazon is now buying Roomba maker iRobot. And uh, we'll go through some of the other acquisitions that Amazon has made and some of the ones I think they should make. Then finally, we'll wrap up with the debut of jtrading.com. Yes, I have a domain name. We bought the domain name jtrading.com. And we're breaking down the early trades I made. And one of my four trades, Stitch Fix, Amazon, Disney, and Warner Bros. Discovery, one of those four is down 17%. I'm getting slaughtered by this trade. And we're going to find out if I'm going to double down, stay the course, or I'm going to make my first sale. And then, of course, it's Friday, so you get another amazing OK Boomer segment from Rachel Reporting. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Lemon.io. Need to speed up your product development without draining your budget? Hire vetted engineers from Europe at Lemon.io. Go to Lemon.io slash twist to get 15% off for the first four weeks. Helpware helps you outsource the tasks that slow your team down. From data entry to world-class customer support, Helpware can help make you bionic. Go to Helpware.com slash twist to get $1,000 off your first invoice. And Bubbles. Guess what? You don't have to be in back-to-back -back calls all day or get continually pulled into quick syncs. By using Bubbles async collaboration tool, you can remove a minimum of two meetings a week from your schedule. Get your point across with unlimited screen and video recordings for free at usebubbles.com slash twist. All right, everybody, in our first story, BlackRock is partnering with Coinbase to make it easier for institutional investors to manage and trade Bitcoin. Apparently, people still be uh, believe in crypto and people love Bitcoin. It's uh, amazing to see Bitcoin be the one cryptocurrency that seems to weather every storm. And um, we're going to uh, cover a little bit more about Coinbase's performance because they're going to have their quarterly earnings report next week when markets close on Tuesday. So today's Friday on Tuesday, next week, uh, today's the fifth, six, seven, eight, ninth on the ninth Tuesday, Coinbase will report their earnings. I'm really interested in seeing what happens with those earnings because who's trading crypto right now, right? I mean, uh, who would trade into this? If anything, people are selling or don't want to open the app and look at it, right? This is what Robinhood and Coinbase, uh, their big challenge will be in a down market when people don't have stimmy checks when they don't have free time, when they can now go back and spend their money going out or wagering on sports, all that stuff is back online, you're going to lose, I don't know, 25, maybe 50% of the looky lose the people who are trying out trading as a uh, pastime, or maybe they just were greedy and ha or had FOMO, any of those things are possible. And now they can have other pursuits because the pandemic is over. Isn't that amazing? We, we don't think about the pandemic all that much anymore. But there was that year when we were locked inside and couldn't go out and they had to wear masks and all this crazy stuff that we went through. Thank God it's over. 
And then on Wednesday, I'm gonna have my friend Sonny Madra on to talk about crypto, because he's deep in the weeds on he's building a crypto startup. He's been in it from the beginning. And I'm looking for one more person to have on a lot of people are away for the summer. So if you have suggestions of somebody who's actually trading and buying crypto right now, that would be interesting for me. Uh, you can email producers at thisweekinstartups.com. So as we know, SEC, uh, the SEC is investigating Coinbase over selling unregulated securities on its platform. Um, and I think I didn't cover that because I was out uh, on my rafting trip, but Molly, and I think Deirdre Bosa did talk about that. Now let's just quickly go through what's going on here. Coinbase has had a crazy ride since they went public via a direct listing in April of 2021. They didn't do the standard, you know, IPO roadshow tour, they did a direct listing. And when you look at this chart, my lord, it was at $77 billion as a market cap. Uh, you know, you're talking Airbnb levels, uh, bigger than Uber today, but you know, kind of Uber at its peak. Um, now this is with, you know, a lot of crypto mania going on in November of 2021. And of course, it's plummeted since then. And this is the really hard part about being a public market investor in a or a private market investor for that matter, in a really hyped up market. If you were a VC, if you invested in Coinbase, my lord, you know, you should have distributed all the shares. And you know, since they, unlike say, Robinhood, where I was locked up, and the shares were really high during the lockup, and then they came down after we were all unlocked, private investors typically have a six month lockup Coinbase, because it was a direct listing, you don't have a lockup, the shares just start trading. Uh, Spotify did this as well. Bill Gurley has been a proponent of this because the fees are lower and you get to the organic price of the stock almost immediately or theoretically you do immediately. So uh, they could have distributed at these crazy market caps and then took that win. And man, they should have. So uh, this is one of the big lessons I'm trying to understand with jtrading.com uh, TM. I am trading stocks here because I want to be really good at knowing when to liquidate and when things are overvalued, when they're undervalued. And so that I can use that to inform my private market investing to inform my liquidation and cashing in my chips during before an IPO after an IPO, you know, and when should I liquidate as an early stage investor? And then when should I hold, right? And look, if I had bought a ton of Uber, when it was at, you know, $19, $20, just a, a couple of weeks ago, I would have had a 50% gain, that's nothing to sneeze at, right? But maybe you held on to them. And, you know, now you could be looking at, you know, uh, the destruction of man, 80% of your returns, 86%, uh, I think was peak to trow bottomed out at a $10.9 billion market cap, eight months later, in July of 2022, we're sitting here on August 5th, so just last month, but over the past five days, miraculously, Coinbase's market cap is up 50% from uh, about 14 billion to 20 billion. Now, this is very misleading, because when you lose 86% of your stock, right, it's going back up 50%, that doesn't get you, you know, to close to 86%. Because remember, you have to grow a lot more. So if you were to go from down 86%, you don't just need to go up 86% to be even again, right? 86% on 14 billion, uh, you know, you'd be at 24 billion or something, right? You're, you're not going to be anywhere near that, that peak. Uh, and just that's just fun with percentages, right? Because the percentage decrease is from the high number, the percentage increase is from the low number, it should be obvious to everybody. Uh, but this is why holding on when you're in a dog of a stock is a really hard thing for people to do because catching up can almost seem insurmountable. 
but this is very interesting. Uh, people who are bottom feeding right now, I uh, started J trading uh, at the beginning of July, almost will be at a month, I think since my first trade. And um, because I believe, and I said this in June that we were bouncing along the bottom, and I thought the summer would be kind of a bottom moment, but that we might retest those bottoms over the next six to 12 months, which made it a perfect time, I think, to start J trading, start maybe looking at what the value is. I'm not saying Coinbase is one of these. Actually, I wouldn't touch Coinbase um, because I think cryptocurrency could be having a, what I would consider an existential crisis here because of these SEC investigations. But look at this chart. Coinbase's quarterly revenue ripped from 190 million in mid 2020 to a peak of 2.5 billion in Q4 2021. That is bonkers. But in Q1 revenue dropped 35% year over year to 1.1 billion. And I think this is all the retail traders are just gone. If you look uh, year over year at this chart, it is um, a pretty crazy swing as a public company when you're supposed to go public when you have predictable revenues, right? That's what the public markets are for. People are looking to really understand your business, it should be robust and predictable. But I don't think people could predict. Uh, I mean, I did. <laughs> but I don't think most people could predict that crypto would get hit this hard. I knew this was coming. Only because I didn't think there was a fundamental intrinsic value in uh, almost all of the cryptocurrency projects out there, not Coinbase, but the things that are traded on Coinbase. And I thought there was also a risk of regulatory issues. Uh, including and up to things being banned. And here we are, uh, Coinbase um, had a an issue with insider trading, people were front running the markets and the I believe it was the New York's um, Southern District, I think went after those individuals. And now we have uh, Coinbase reportedly being investigated uh, by the SEC because they believe the coins being traded are stocks. I believe they're closer to stocks than they are to Chuck E. Cheese tokens or airline miles or utility tokens. So I think uh, if we're being intellectually honest, just my belief, I know people disagree. Certainly cryptocurrency exists somewhere between, you know, Chuck E. Cheese tokens, you know, this these random tokens that allow you to do something right, they have some utility, you can use them as airline miles, you could use them in a video game. And then there's stocks people buy them to appreciate other people have control over them. There's this whole Howie test. You know, and I guess we're having this debate. Uh, do they exist as airline miles where they would be unregulated? Or do they freely trade? And it's obvious they freely trade Coinbase operates and, you know, even Robinhood, they all of these tokens are trading as if they were uh, stocks, if you're trading them side by side in any of the apps, and I don't want to just single out Coinbase here, any of them, they trade just like stocks. Now, should the SEC have been more clear? Of course, they, they, but I think a lot of people also suspended disbelief in this regard, and it needs to be cleaned up. And the cleanup process, as we know, can be messy. I, I don't think this is existential for Coinbase at this point, but it's acute. I think it's a very acute situation. Um, I don't think Coinbase is going away because some things like Bitcoin with no ownership, no central control, Ethereum, um, you know, those feel differently than these crypto projects, which I believe the tokens were a proxy for shares in the company. And I think people did that knowingly in most cases. Last quarter, its revenue growth was negative down 35%. And um, yeah, live by the gun, die by the gun. It's pretty amazing to see this come apart. 9.2 monthly transacting users um, in Coinbase's last quarter. And that would be the number you really want to watch going into Q2. Because that's when the market really got scary. 
Uh, it was scary in Q1. It was like really scary in Q2. Things were really, really down. Uh, and just Robinhood reported, uh, I was an early angel investor in Robinhood, I was not a private market investor in Coinbase. Uh, but if we're being intellectually honest here, we saw Robinhood, which I think peaked at 21, maybe even 22 million monthly active users, they're down to 14 million. So you know, down a third, maybe or 25% at least. 1.1 billion in quarterly revenue last quarter for Coinbase, and that was down 35%. Uh, loss of 430 million. Um, they were very profitable in the 2021 quarters, right? People were buying up cryptocurrency, they're getting a vig on everything, a little piece of the action. And supposedly they have uh, around 6 billion in cash and cash and equivalents, but they have 3.3 billion in debt, you net those two things out, you know, they're, they're sitting pretty on 2.8 billion. But the key stat, uh, 235 billion dollars of the 309 billion in trading volume on Coinbase was by institutional investors, about 76%. That was last quarter. What does this mean? Well, this relates to the BlackRock news, the people who are actually trading, not the trades, but the volume of the trades, right? in dollar amount. So you could have a lot of people trading, you know, a fraction of a Bitcoin or a couple of Solanas here and there. That's different. It's very different than large chunks, a billion dollars in Bitcoin, uh, which we saw uh, Tesla held, or $500 million, $250 million chunks. That is, uh, I guess, Coinbase's speciality. Uh, and I think that's probably the future of the business. And that's why they've done, I think, you know, uh, or they'll continue to do cuts and resizing of the business to focus on institutional because institutional does still seem to believe in this three fourths of the trading volume on Coinbase in Q1 was done by institutional investors as well. So that makes sense to me, people stopped speculating the reopening happened. So not only is the volume institutional, but the trades has now flipped over to institutional, I'm sure last year, uh, when you had just a lot of people at home trading and certainly in 2020 second half when, when people were before they were getting vac vaccinated against COVID. Sure, there's a lot of trading going on, I'm sure by retail. So this always happens retail comes into the market, they become the bag holders, then they disappear, institutions come back, <laughs> they buy when the market's down. Although I think with crypto buying when the market's down could be the worst advice <laughs> you ever get. Because it it could be down before they turn the lights off right? People forget the lowest a stock can go is zero. The lowest crypto can go is also zero. So I think many of these projects could circle around the drain and just stop trading. There just might not be any volume in them. And we have seen that actually with crypto projects, not the top ones, but I could see the bottom or the mid tier ones, just there being no trading. Uh, and so if you own them, you essentially own some beanie babies or some you know, rock and roll t shirts from the 80s that nobody wants to buy at this point in time, who knows, maybe someday people want to trade crypto assets that are uh, really old. Let me tell you a quick story. Drew Fabricant is a launch portfolio founder. And he runs a company called Scout. It's a lead gen platform. He's super talented. But he was recently under the gun to hire a developer with a very specific skill set. And lemon.io delivered a great candidate quickly. And they were a pleasure to work with according to Drew. Take it from me, hiring developers is hard. I see this all the time, founders struggling with it. And so many founders struggle with doing it quickly. Well, Lemon.io is going to help you hire better developers faster, just like they helped my portfolio company and friend Drew. They have a network of engineers from Europe and Latin America, and every candidate has been tested and interviewed by their team. That's how Lemon.io can make your engineering team bionic. No wasting time with unqualified candidates. That's one of the biggest problems. And easy access to global talent. They can get your developer up and running within a week. And of course, it's more affordable. So 
Go to lemon.io slash twist to get 15% off your first four weeks. That's 15% off your first four weeks at lemon.io slash twist. BlackRock is obviously the largest asset manager in the world. They manage 10 trillion assets. And here's some quotes. Uh, BlackRock chose to partner with Coinbase because of its scale in the market and role in providing trading, custody services, prime brokerage, and reporting capabilities. The services will be available for clients and both companies. All this trading volume uh, in Q2 was institutional investors, so it makes sense. BlackRock's focus of the partnership with Coinbase will initially be on Bitcoin, since that's the closest thing we have to digital gold and people seem to want to hold it. It seems to be enduring. I mean, if you're BlackRock, do you really want to advise people to be buying the next 20 cryptocurrencies, XRPs in a lawsuit with the SEC? Uh, maybe the other ones are in fact securities and the SEC is going to start, I, I, I would guess the SEC is going to start going after each of these individual crypto projects and making them pay fines or start only allowing them to be traded amongst accredited investors. Now, I want to see accreditation open to everybody. But I do think if we're being again, intellectually consistent, honest, um, and have a level playing field, if you want to trade in these uh, cryptocurrencies, you should have to be since they're not publicly registered. Uh, they should either get publicly registered, and, or they and do all the legal work over again, or they should only sell to accredited investors. And they should be and those those trades should be obviously done. Uh, the way we trade shares in private companies, which is there's a decent amount of friction, you don't just trade them like uh, on a stock market. Why BlackRock is interested in this, I'm not certain they seem like smart uh, individuals. But in April, they joined a group of investors in circles USD coin, that's the tether replacement, I think, uh, seems like circle is doing uh, reporting in the way I said tether should do it, which is just put out your trades every day. Here's our holdings every day. So circle is being very upfront about that. I think that's why as a stable coin, there'll be the digital dollar for now until the US dollar is uh, available on a blockchain or trading. So uh, clearly BlackRock has something uh, interesting here. My biggest holding now in J trading is Amazon. I think this company is firing on all cylinders. They're just excellence across the board. And here we go another acquisition I've been saying in a down market, if you got a lot of cash, there's gonna be a lot of companies that might be available that previously weren't available, or the prices might be marked down. And so what do you do when things are on sale? Well, bye bye bye, as Jim Cramer would say. And I think Amazon is with one medical and other uh, companies out there are going to buy stuff. I, you know, I think they should buy Uber. And I'll just move my Uber shares into Amazon shares since I love both these companies. But I mean, Uber is the natural home for Amazon in my mind, I don't know why Amazon just doesn't come in and buy Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, any of those. Uh, but I would obviously if they were going to do it, they should buy the leader. And for $100 billion, it'd be pretty no brainer deal for Amazon. Can you imagine uh, what that would look like if all the Uber drivers could deliver Amazon from the fulfillment center in addition to what they're doing and Uber Eats could be upsold and your membership in Uber Eats or Uber One would be part of your Amazon Prime. I'm not sure if regulators would like this, but seems like a pretty good idea to me. So this is the fourth largest uh, ever acquisition for Amazon. Um, they're buying Roomba maker iRobot. Uh, and people seem to be over the moon about Roombas. Uh, you will know a Roomba owner because they will tell you about their Roomba in the first 15 minutes of meeting them. <laughs> they absolutely love this thing. Uh, I somebody gifted me one, I never set it up. So I got to go find it in the garage. But this is, uh, like I said, their fourth 
highest, largest, you know, in dollar amount acquisition, number one, Whole Foods, 13.7 billion, fantastic. Number two, MGM, aka James Bond, they also own Rocky and Robocop, uh, 8.45 billion, and then one medical recently, 3.9 billion. And these all have been in the past couple of years. So if I'm, you know, Google, if I'm Apple, I'm watching what Amazon is doing and making these very strategic, you know, I would say mid tier, they're not huge acquisitions, even 13.7 billion is not huge, you know, there are 50 billion, 100 billion dollar acquisitions that occur. As of 2020, iRobot had sold more than 30 million Roomba robotic vacuums and its history. Roomba uh, sales make up 89% of its revenue. Um, they also make robotic mops and pool cleaners. They have a subscription program. And you know, they, they also bought ring. So I do think that Amazon likes hardware, they have a unique insight into what people buy because of their marketplace. Uh, they like automation, they like tech. And so makes totally uh, makes total sense to me for them to buy something like this, this would be as if Apple was, you know, more acquisitive, they might have bought Tesla when they had an opportunity to buy it for 50 billion, right when it was a young company, they could have bought uh, ring themselves and had home automation, they should have bought should still buy Sonos and Peloton. There are all these like modest acquisitions 10 billion or less that Apple could make and they just don't do it. It's founding CEO Colin Angle is still at the company and will remain on board as the CEO post acquisition like they did with my friend Tony Shea rest in peace, uh, Mr. Tony. Uh, and they're keeping the CEO and company culture intact. That's consistent with their MA strategy, uh, as well with keeping Jamie Siminoff, another friend of mine at ring. So congratulations to Amazon it makes me want to <laughs> buy more shares. They also bought Kiva systems back in 2012. Those are those warehouse and fulfillment robots. So I've always known that automation is big on Jeff Bezos's uh, shortlist. He's always loved this stuff. And they're starting to do those um, drone deliveries. And it makes total sense. Amazon made a smaller move into home robotics with the launching of Astro, um, which is a household robot for home monitoring. $1,000 uh, was the introductory price. And it basically like an Alexa on wheels that rolls around your house. Uh, this thing is brilliant. I want to get this. Uh, I didn't even know this was out. I literally want a little robot dog that goes around my house and checks everything. Amazing. So smart homes is a big part of what Amazon wants to do. Remember they had um, the little button, I forgot what they called it, but you could put in your it was an IOT device, you could put it in your, um, let's say your laundry room, and it would say tide on it. And you just press a button, and it would order your tide. Uh, those little buttons, uh, I don't think they exist anymore. But these are the kind of things that Amazon likes to play with and try things. And listen, they tried their own smartphone and tablets. I think the tablets are still available fire, but the phone isn't. They also crushed it with um, the Kindle. So one of the things I love about Amazon is they're not afraid to try really hard ambitious things. And they're also not afraid to turn them off. Amazon's market keep uh, market cap peaked at 1.8 trillion in November. That was the top of the market dropped 40% to 1 trillion in June. But since mid June stock is almost up 40% 1.4 trillion. Uh, will it reach its uh, previous high? I would think so. And I made a big bet on it. Uh, when who knows, uh, but it's just one of those great companies for the ages. You hear it all the time. But it's true time is money. And money helps keep your startup alive. That's why you 
need to check out Helpware. Helpware calls itself People as a Service. Basically, they are going to help you outsource the tasks that are slowing your company down from mundane things like data entry, more complex tasks like world-class customer support and even AI operations. Here's an example. Imagine you're a product-focused startup executive and your schedule is perfectly optimized at the start of your day. Your tasks are schedules, meetings are books, Zoom links are sent. And all you have to do is show up and focus on what matters, the product. This is possible with a Helpware scheduling assistant. And Helpware is a worldwide operation. They have 13 global locations and they cover 26 languages. That will come in very handy when you start shipping your product in multiple languages and you need customer support. The bottom line is you're going to save tons of time and you're going to become bionic and your startup will become bionic if you use Helpware. So here's what I want you to do. If you need to outsource, if you need to have support for your different departments, go to helpware.com slash twist to get 1000 off your first invoice. That's right. H-E-L-P-W-A-R-E dot com slash twist for $1,000 off. Now, uh, on a J Trading update, uh, we can pull up jtrading.com and I'll show you uh, the new website. Uh, I was able to get the domain name J Trading for, I think I paid five grand for it. Somebody was sitting on it. So last week I bought jtrading.com for $5,000. And uh, this is going to become maybe its own podcast or show on CNBC or Bloomberg, I think. If I get good at this, and we're doing trades every week or every day, this would be a really interesting show um, that we could spin out. And we'll see if the audience really enjoys doing this with me. But I'm enjoying doing it because uh, I want to become a world class investor. And I will debut here the point zero point one of jtrading.com. I am going to list all my trades. And what you'll see here that I wrote on it, this is not investing advice, obviously, this is more for you to give me advice. That's my goal for J trading. I have a four part goal here. Number one, I want to become a world class public market investor. What would define world class I beat, you know, the indexes. Number two, I want to find companies that'll be five times bigger in 10 years. I do believe Amazon could be five times bigger. Disney, Warner Brothers and Stitch Fix, all of those believe could 5x in the next 10 years if they execute really well. That's my basic premise is that there's a chance of that happening. And that I want to really combine my private market wisdom, I've been pretty good at identifying early stage startups and building positions in them. Uh, over the last decade, I want to combine that with public. I've always been like public is too hard. It's too complex. I don't have an edge. Well, I think I might be overthinking it. I'm doing this podcast every day this week in startups and all in every week. Everybody around me is really smart. And all the public companies I know, were friends of mine, <laughs> or people I knew or had on this podcast when they were private. So what's the difference between them? Well, now I have more data. So I'm thinking about I'm like, well, maybe I could be good at this too, because I really understand product. So that's my third goal, I really want to be uh, able to take what I've learned in private markets, and see if that what what of those lessons apply to public markets, right? And I talk about the lessons I've learned here, product manager matters, delighted customers, um, the product velocity, and so do those things still apply to public companies? I think they do. Uh, operational excellence is something that matters dramatically in public markets. In private markets, operational excellence is important, but really product market fit and innovating is what's most important, right? Because you're up against these big lumbering old companies. But when you get big, operational excellence matters. You have to be able to scale the business as we saw Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, etc. have done. My belief is if I become an expert on public markets, that'll inform how I make private market investments. In other words, can I see this private company ever 
hitting the scale that would be necessary to the unit economic work work unit economics work I was evaluating a company. And I said, Listen, <laughs> based on what I'm seeing with stitch fix, based on what I'm seeing in public markets with clothing, why would anybody do this clothing startup? And I it was like really eye opening for me. And then I was like, yeah, and based upon the delivery and what I know about delivery from Uber and DoorDash, I don't own DoorDash, but I do own Uber. Based on what I know from delivery and the cost and the margin, I don't see this business as a marketplace, because the delivery costs would be too high. There's too little at stake. And it was just a really great unlock for me. So that's really my my third goal there is can I take my private market wisdom and have it apply to publics? And what I learned in publics, could that apply down into the private markets and it has already. And number four, I just want to learn from the audience. I, my feeling is if I put these trades out here, you'll tell me if I made a mistake. And so going through the first four trades, Stitch Fix, Disney, Amazon, Warner Brothers Discovery, Stitch Fix. Uh, and now if you were to go to the website, jtrading.com, and you click on Stitch Fix, uh, and you open it up, you'll see I just wrote a little synopsis at the top, I'll do this for all of them. And then I'm going to continue this discussion and writing on the website. And by the way, I'm using notion, uh, one of our sponsors here to build this website. And so you see here, I wrote, um, I made my stitch fix trade based on my follow the insiders thesis. So I'm going to define my thesis. We haven't done a second follow the insiders yet. I am looking for other insiders buying shares. So if you know of somebody, um, that would be a good thing to tip me off to. Bill Gurley was the early investor that we saw do that. We made the J trade. Boom. That's been a great J trade for us. It's up. Let's go back. Um, in fact, can I see what uh, does it show here? What we're what are we up? It, it, we're, I think we're pulling live data here. So my average share price is five dollars and 69 cents. It's at 645. Oh, we're not calculating it. So we'll calculate uh, where we're at. It was showing it earlier today. So I'm not sure why it's not showing now. But we're up on that trade about a dollar per share. We're just under and so probably up four grand on that one. And Amazon is at we've got in at 131 average share price and we're at 140 now. So we're up on that one as well. Disney, we bought at 103. And it's at 106. So we're doing great on that trade. And then the only whiff I've got so far is I bought Warner Brothers discovery at 16 bucks and 26 cents, about 50 grand worth 3000 shares It's the second biggest position, uh, because I believe in HBO. And it got walloped lost 10%. So that's our next discussion here. Because uh, so again, I'm not looking at this week to week. I mean, we will discuss it week to week, obviously, and I actually I will be looking at it every day. But my goal is 10 years from now, can we see Stitch Fix be a $50 share price? Can we see Disney be a $500 share price? Amazon? Can we see that being $650? And can we see Warner Brothers, uh, you know, at $80 a share, right? 5x is what I'm looking for. And so we'll just see if that journey happens. And if we don't think something is on that trajectory, intellectually, I want to be honest about maybe we move the money out of Warner Brothers and put it into paramount or disney or netflix or whoever we think is going to beat each other and so let's talk about this warner brothers yesterday on the show we had lon talking about some of their programming decisions around canceling the batgirl film that was a little quixotic and weird but i did like what i heard from zaslov that's my guy david zaslov he's a wartime ceo i'm betting on him and i'm betting on the brand or brands i should say plural you need to have excellence in operations at scale Warner Brothers has not had that HBO has always had that CNN has not had that Trump gave him a huge bump CNN plus was an absolute disaster. Uh, and there's everything in between discovery has been an amazing business with Zaslav has run 
The collection of I and DC has been a complete disaster with moments of excellence, but a disaster when compared to Marvel, which was probably the greatest uh, moving image startup ever created. If you just look at what they did over the decade, I mean, what a money printing machine. So here we go. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, which is a collection of HBO, Discovery, um, DC Comics, um, Warner Brothers, which owns The Matrix, etc. This conglomerate is a mess. $3.4 billion loss, $1 billion due to complications with the merger. But Q2 revenue, $9.8 billion. But a loss of $3.4 billion, as we're saying. But they got $3.8 billion in cash. They got a billion in debt. Total subscribers, $92.1 million subscribers they expect 130 million global streaming subs by 2025 um, so that would put them behind obviously uh, our friends at netflix and disney one bloomberg analyst said we knew it was going to be messy but this was pretty awful so right after i make the trade i'm getting this kind of feedback warner brothers discovery please said expects to slash three billion dollars worth of costs over the next two years so that's what Zaslav is doing He's coming in, he's going to make this one service, HBO discovery, so basically HBO max plus discovery, and then all that stuff you pay one price, boom, easy peasy lemon squeezy, you get everything. I am not dissuaded. I think this messiness is the opportunity. I have a pretty full position here at 50 dimes. But I think I'm going to put a million or 2 million into the J trading portfolio. And if I that means it would be either two and a half or 5% of the portfolio, I think having 20 names would be probably good. So 20 names, either at 50k or 100k each, I can keep that in my head, I think I can keep track of it. So uh, we want to pick these great winners. This is my, uh, you know, bet here. And it's not a feeler bet, I would say the feeler bets are those 10 to 25k bets where I'm just trying to get my attention focused on it. And so we can build a position over time. We might buy more shares of this. I'm tempted. But I think these streaming businesses are going to be juggernauts. I think Disney is the first that will get to a billion. Uh, and then it's going to be Netflix or HBO Max Discovery that will get to a billion after them. And so if you have a billion people paying <laughs> six bucks a month, I mean, $72 billion a year in revenue, these things really have not existed in the world. The analysts are split. We got some analysts saying they're going to keep their price targets, other ones are cutting it. Um, and the Bloomberg analyst says I don't think they're going to be the number one streaming services. I agree. Disney's going to win that. And it could be Netflix is number two. Uh, but she says but that's okay. As long as they're able to make money. And that's I think my belief as well. I think there's going to be a one, two and three here. I wouldn't discount Amazon. There'll probably be three or four. And I think Disney's clearly going to be number one. So that means it's a race for number two. I think we already own the gold medal winner in Amazon. So do we want to own Netflix? Or do we want to own HBO Max Discovery, this Warner Brothers Discovery uh, conglomerate? I think I'd rather own HBO Max. So uh, that's my update on the J on the J trade. If you have ideas for J trades, I'm going to try to do two a week on the show. And I'm looking for ideas of businesses you believe will be five times bigger. And we are looking at businesses that we uh, believe in management. We see product velocity, and we see delighted customers. So this is the lens I want you to thinking on. This is the exact lens I use for two person companies or five person companies. So I really want to see, you know, put these two things together. And then there's one mitigating factor, which is the balance sheet. So in these public companies, we really need to be sensitive about the balance sheet, how much cash, how much debt, uh, 
how much profit, and that really falls to the leadership. Is the leadership able to scale and run a business to be profitable? Whereas the thing I'm learning about the difference between private and public market investing is the, these operationally exceptional people who can scale these businesses, they don't have the brains to make killer product. You know, the Tim Cooks are not making the iPhones, the Steve Jobs make the iPhones. And there's very, it's very rare you can find somebody who can do both. You know, I think Elon falls into that. He can build a very big business. He can operate it, but he also is a product genius. Very hard to have both of those things, isn't it, right? Uh, I think Bezos falls into that category. Jobs fell into that category, rest in peace. But most people don't. Let's be honest, most people don't. And what's necessary to run a business at scale might be different than building great products. And some people can have both skills. Most people can have one, is my belief. And, you know, I'm, I'm testing this thesis. If this is a sword... We want both sides of the blade to be sharp, okay? So this isn't like a one-sided sword. This is like a serious weapon. We want both sides to be equally sharp. I got a, I got a really sharp private market and we're sharpening the public market one. Okay, let's have producer Rachel join us for OK Boomer. Listen, I want you to go to usebubbles.com slash twist right now, download it, do a quick product demo, and then tweet it to me or email it to us at askjason at launch.co and I will personally watch your product demo. And we might even put you on the show. Bubbles is an async collaboration tool that allows you to do teamwork on your own time. Bubbles helps you get your point across by creating a 3D conversation that includes screen, audio, and video. It is incredibly beautiful and I have been using it when I'm giving feedback to my team about inside.com. Instead of me having to write down, oh, I want you to do this, this, and this, I show them this ability to communicate in real time straight from your browser with no download no app required and one click sharing is amazing this product is super elegant and it's perfect for code reviews q a strategy walkthroughs and basically faster decision making no more useless meetings just use bubbles bubbles was built for remote workers by remote workers and that's why it is so flawless in a recent survey 90 percent of survey users said bubbles helps them make better decisions so visit usebubbles.com twist to start using it that's it it's free to start using just head to usebubbles.com twist and send me your product demo what do you got to lose maybe i'll invest there are some people who are a level of charisma that is just preternatural like you you meet them and it's just like you I mean, when I met, I, I told you the story, you can leave this in the show. I was uh, helped Hillary with when she ran for Senate in New York. And uh, as a thank you, they invited me to a dinner. I didn't have to pay or anything like just like this, you know, you know maybe 50 people, 100 people at this beautiful loft. And I come to the elevator, and they take my phones, I had two phones on me. And they were like, super starts like, why do you have two phones? I'm like, and they put me in a different line. And I'm like, well, this is my international one you know, and this is for girlfriends. And then this is for the other girlfriend. And I made a joke and the guy said, like, come over here. And he literally takes my phones apart. He didn't like the joke. And I was like, No, no, this is literally for when I internationally travel. And this is for domestic travel. This is a GSM phone. This is a CMDA phone, whatever. Uh, anyway, long story short, they put me in the elevator, I get to the top of the elevator, Rachel, the doors open. And I kid you not, seven feet in the elevator is Bill Clinton That's staring insane. me eyes, and just Bill Clinton. And he goes, Jason Calacanis, I just want to let you know how much I, it means to me and our family, Chelsea and Hillary, that you supported her run. And this victory is as much yours as it is ours. And we're going to do great things for the state of New York. And I was just like, whoa. And then I just leaned in and I kissed him. No, I didn't. But it was, I was, I felt so in love with Bill Clinton at that moment. He, 
and then I realized what happened because then I, you know, I go in, I walk into the party, I look behind me because I'm like, well, that was an interesting, and he's still standing there, and somebody comes out, whispers in his ear, and they disappear off to the side. Literally, they're telling him who's coming up the elevator, the name of the person, what they did, so they could greet them. I was like. This is the most next level power move I've ever seen. What did you call it? Uh, the one hotel that you love. It's like that level. Amon. Amon, Amon level. level Amon level. All right, everybody. So Rachel has been doing a great job. She's been with me for a year now. Is that yeah. right? You had your one yeah. year anniversary. Oh, I'm so I proud did. of you. I did. Had my one year anniversary. And uh, listen, you went from doing your own pod, which was a solid seven out of 10. I told you when, you, when I hired you but you had no resources and now here you are you're doing this segment every friday may i ask uh in the new york city in my old haunting ground um uh do, do you get recognized do people know you are you starting to get become a little micro famous in the tech circles people know what you do yet anybody recognize uh, you a little so i actually try not to say too much if they don't know what i do i try not to tell anybody because we don't we don't take pictures on the show so oh. I never want people asking like, oh, can I be on it? Because I like, I don't know, I feel like that's something that um, we've done really, really no, no, well you on should, the show. You should totally tell people what you do. Of course. Yeah, you're, you're yeah. representative of the show. You're on air. Uh, but it is true uh, that, you know, you should. weird about it sometimes. So I'm like, ah, you're just trying to. No, pitch no, it's a, fine to get the pitch. pitch. What you say to them is, I don't actually, if I pitch, what you should say to them is, if I pitch you to be on the show to the editorial group, your chances go down if I know you. Yeah. So, you know, you actually just want to earn it. And so if you just keep me informed of when you do great things in the world, what we do is we share really interesting products or services, or funding rounds. And then we work backwards to is this an interesting person to have in the show, we don't use relationships to have people in the show, we we use what people do in the world, which is the truth. Right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, 100%. I have my friends all the time ask me, Oh, can I come on the show? And I'm like, what have you built? And they're like, Well, I want to talk about this and this. I'm like, what have you built? What are you working on? Like, tell me what you're working on. And then we can have that conversation, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Huh. And I, I think that's something I'll, I'll have to start stepping up then. But it's definitely been I, I was actually thinking about this. Um, with everybody talking about working remote and stuff. I feel like living in New York City, I moved here in January. This has helped my career way more than being a full time remote employee and not living in a target huh. city. Because now, um, with a lot of the OK Boomer guests and other people with startups, I try to do our pre-interview calls in person, whether that mm. be like a 30 minute coffee chat before like the workday starts or just hopping nice. on a Zoom and being based in New York City. Um, like this week's guest, Marcus Milioni, he's a New York based founder of a brand called Minted. And I was able to mm. get coffee with him uh, nice. before he came on the podcast. What does Minted do? So Marcus has his brand called Minted. It's actually like a dual sided thing. There's Minted Health and Minted New York. Um, Minted Health makes stuff like pre-workout. If you go and you check him out on TikTok and things like that, you can see he is obviously really into working out and running long distance. And Minted New York is where he makes clothing. Um, huh. Mostly it's men's clothing, but I did hear that there might be some women's clothing coming out in the future. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So I was able to talk to him about how he's been able to grow his company through his own personal brand on TikTok. And unlike our other OK Boomer guests, um, I've really been trying to focus a lot on people that are putting themselves out there, especially online, because I think that's a big thing now, especially with founders. But unlike Nate O'Brien or Natalie, he actually didn't have that big of a personal brand before yeah. starting his company. So it's been mm. really cool to see his brand kind of blow up on TikTok. And we were able to talk about all things minted. 
Well, if you think about it, if you can master an organic channel, like TikTok, YouTube, email, Twitter, whatever it is that you're great at, it could be Quora, it could be Reddit. If you can master one of those channels to get attention uh, and build your brand, then when you do launch your, you know, pre workout drink, you're going to start on second base, right? And you, you may get those first 100 or first 500 customers. And those are in fact, the hardest ones to get. This is why being of action, we talked about on the blueprint, you want to have a bias towards action. Seems like a lot of the guests you're having, especially the social media folks, they're of action, they're doing things, they're making stuff every day. And it's very easy to dismiss them. Oh, you're just taking pictures of yourself working out or, you know, in some fancy clothes or, you know, at some FOMO event. But if a 1000 people like it, you know, I, I told you the story of meeting um, uh, the super influencer who's an actress. I think she has her own weed brand now. Bella Bella Thorne. Bella Thorne. Yeah. Uh, Bella Thorne is like, com I am completely obsessed with her fan base. Yeah. I'm like, who are these people who are following everything she does? And she wants to be a mogul like, yeah, she was actually a Disney star before she was like an influencer. Incredible. Crazy? Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. she's done everything. She's definitely a powerhouse. And I think it's also like, consumers now don't just want to see like a pretty Instagram page, they actually want to see the community behind it. So uh, with these creators, and obviously, like you've killed it with that, like, we always uh, get to hear about your experience, like prior to the twist that I know today, about how much, especially pre pandemic, I guess, how there were all these events and things happening and how that really helped like distill like your first base of community. And now oh, I forgot about that. Of, yeah. Yeah. With the help of the internet, you know, I yeah. feel like it's only getting bigger. It's really interesting how many people got their start on. I didn't realize Ryan Gosling was a Disney star. Hayden Panteri, Britney Spears, uh, Lindsay Lohan, obviously, Kristen Stewart, Misha Barton, Zach Efron. I met him actually at the same party. Uh, I, well, yeah, at the same party with Bella Thorne. I met Zach Efron for the second or third time. Uh, he's friends with a friend of mine. Um, very That's cool. That's awesome. Fergie, Selena Gomez, Zendaya. I knew Zendaya. Um, it's incredible. And I think when they, the, the issue I think is with a lot of the f these folks is they don't have an actual community. They have fame. But what does their fame, how does it manifest into a community, I guess, is the issue. What I'm seeing based on your reporting, Rachel, is, and we should see, keep pulling the string and see if we can understand it and then maybe see if there's a business opportunity here for us, is who can become like Mr. Beast or Kim Kardashian, where once they hit some amount of scale, they can manifest it in a product, right? Um, and their audience stands for something. Like, what does Mr. Beast's audience stand for? Having fun? Like, it's kind of goofy and fun, but it's also challenges. Like, he has to actually manifest it into something, right? And yeah. so, chocolate bars, if it's kids, kids like candy. So, okay, great, product alignment. Uh, but what are, if Bella the ones fans are into cannabis, great, that's, that's legit. Um, my, but if uh, they're my dream OK Boomer guest kills it at this. Emma Chamberlain, anybody has a connect, that will be my dream OK Boomer guest. But Who? she was a Emma Chamberlain. She uh. founded uh, Chamberlain Coffee because that was a oh. big uh, thing that she used to do in her YouTube videos back in the day. Now she does things like she's the face of Louis Vuitton. She's one of those influencers, I feel like. It, there's like a level of influencer where I feel like you hit celebrity Does she status. have a specific talent other than making coffee? 
her videos now are just really well edited and she's known for editing her wow. newer videos and she has a really good view oh, of that. So she's style. like a Casey um Casey Neistat, yeah. Very he's a Casey Neistat? super similar. Super Got duper it. similar to that, like going from like being an influencer to celebrity, like common celebrity, I feel like status. Got but it. she she was wonderful at bringing her influence mm. in her community and, you know, pioneering and pivoting off and creating a brand off of it. And she doesn't even post that much anymore on YouTube, but huh. I know her coffee brand does, does incredible. That's really interesting. So somebody, uh, who knows Emma Chamberlain? Emma Chamberlain. Yeah. yeah. She's a school Dream dropout. Girl. She did online videos. Fascinating. Emma Chamberlain 18 is the funniest person on YouTube. What does she do? So far, the content of her videos has not been the point. She makes cupcakes or tries her hand at sewing like, uh, Phoebe, Waller Bridge of Fleabag, that's a great show, an artist close to twice her age, she interrupts the proceedings constantly to speak to her audience. That's where her videos actually happened. Cool. I'm gonna have to check her out. Um, so she was a just videographer, basically, right? Doing that, like, yep. vlogging. Junior. We used to call exactly. it vlogging. Yeah. So she was, like, one of the first big vloggers in the lifestyle space before, um, I feel Got like it. she's actually... There's another girl named uh, Victoria Paris that I think will probably be the new face of like being one of the first influencers that kind of pioneered TikTok. I think Emma Chamberlain was one of the first to pioneer like the lifestyle vlogging of YouTube. Fascinating. Well, you know, I, this is the thing. It has to manifest itself in something. So you yeah. can get attention for making these. But yeah, if she's like really into coffee or I do J trading or eventually you find something that specifically you like you know, photography or something, you can really start to make that into, um, you know, you can productize it, right? I always thought yeah. Casey Neistat should come up with his own video equipment or line. Yeah. Right? Like that would yeah. be amazing if he had his own, you know, camera bags and lenses or whatever that he made or, you know, gimbals or whatever. Or a school, you know, if he had a school for teaching people how to make videos, like, can you imagine we would be the first people to hire from there? We're like, yeah, he's teaching techniques. Uh, amazing. And the one thing I one thing I'd like to put you on assignment for is the video structure of winning TikToks and YouTube videos. Somebody broke down and I had seen this. Uh, I think I saw a TikTok about a Mr. Beast video. And they said and I had talked to uh, Jimmy, Mr. Beast about this, how much effort they put into editing a video. He said they can spend like weeks on one video. Wow, that is just a couple of minutes long. And that they sometimes have like 40 different video techniques in the first 15 seconds or 20 seconds of things happening in the video that make it impossible for you to look away. Whether it's characters being drawn or a filter or a cut. It's like supposedly a level of insanity and detail that you don't even notice. It's like almost subliminal. Yeah. Uh, how much change how much the video is changing to keep you from scrolling past it yeah so that is it's, uh it's crazy because don't you remember wasn't there like three like you're supposed to stay on a shot for three seconds minimum like if you take a video class like an entry-level video class there's like like oh stay on this one shot so people like, can actually see what's happening before trading off and now you're starting to see the mr beast content of different it feels like different shots every every split second a lot of this now I think has to do with also people's propensity to pause or change the speed of videos. So this has also dynamically dramatically changed video consumption patterns, I believe. People are now doing all these videos where it's kind of required to time the pause to see like the outfit change or the yeah, uh, you know, whatever, they're going to do some flash of something. And 
then, you know, if you listen to podcasts, obviously speeding it up or slowing it down, or when you're watching a trailer for the new Marvel film, they're putting Easter eggs deep in these and they're cutting them so fast that slowing it down and putting it at 0 0.25, 0 0.5 speed lets you say, oh yeah, that's Captain America's shield in the background, or that's, you know, this Star Wars character from Rogue One. But it's going by so fast that literally, I watch some of these Star Wars maniacs who have YouTube streams live, and they'll watch the trailer for something like Andor that just came out, and they sit there and they hold the scrubber, and they move the scrubber one at a time to look at each frame and then pause it. Oh, see this? That's what this is. And they were like, trying to this lightsaber, you know, is this person's a lightsaber or the hilt of this one is probably this Sith Lord and the color. It's pretty crazy. So anyway, I want you on assignment for explaining to us video editing for, you know, Mr. Beast and some of these other, you know, great TikTokers that are doing a fast thing and how they do that. All right. Definitely. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your latest. Okay, Boomer, awesome. let's go. Okay, Boomer. I understood the assignment. Thank you so much, Marcus Maloney, for coming on today's segment of OK Boomer. You're a New York-based founder of the brand Minted, and I found you actually over on TikTok, which was really cool for me. You're running content, but that's not the only content that you're putting out there. Um, you are also posting a lot of content about Minted, so thank you again for coming. Of course. Thank you for having me on. It is a pleasure. Awesome. So I guess the first question is, is there's two sides to Minted. Can you please explain what Minted is and what the brand kind of does for the community? Yeah, so um, I guess I can't really talk about anything Minted without talking about a bit of my social media. Started around beginning of quarantine lockdown uh, at the beginning of COVID and started to use social media kind of as a creative outlet. I was working in finance at the time and stuck at home with my parents and as much as i love my whole family and my parents i needed some way to like get the creative juice flowing so uh just started to post around things that i enjoy very much like fashion and fitness type content and then the brand was kind of born out of people wanting certain things that either i was wearing or it started with jewelry and then it moved into apparel and then just being infinitely curious. Um, I had always been using kind of supplements on the sports side of things just because we, like I spend a lot of time uh, either in the gym or running, certainly running right now. And um, so I started to figure out how to make sports nutritional supplements. And so both of Minted Health and Minted New York were kind of just spawned out of my love for fashion and fitness and my curiosity trying to figure out how things work or how things are made, I guess would be the, the summary. <laughs> I love that. That's really cool. And from what I know, I know you were actually doing a full-time job. That was a, that was a remote job, but you were doing a full-time job while you first started minted. How did you know to take the leap? And like, how long was that, that crossover period while you were founding this company and working at nine to five? I would spend my mornings and nights mainly building Minted New York at first. Minted Health hadn't started. On top of all of this, of like creating content and, and building the brand, I was, you know, you still want to perform highly at your job. You don't want any of that to slip and you don't want there really to be any overlap. It 
took about eight months of us doing Minted New York full-time before I felt that I could, not full-time, but like working full-time and doing Minted New York. Then I felt I could jump and make the leap finally after uh, I set myself like a little revenue goal. If we do X number of revenue over three months, then I can quit. Ended up doing that whole entire three months worth of revenue in a day. And I put in my two weeks like three days later after I got caught up on all the orders. <laughs> That's awesome. So you are have always been really interested in business. Um, I know that because we were able to grab a coffee right before chatting for this interview, which I absolutely love doing. So I've actually got to meet Marcus IRL, which was awesome. But you told me that you've always been really interested in business. So for, where do you think this side of your love for business came from? And how do you think your passion for business prepped you to become a really good founder? I think you can be quite good if you just are curious about a lot of things, right? Because, you know, there really is no uh, roadmap on do this and then this and then, you know, you'll see success over X period of time, right? It's more like try to figure out how things work and you're going to run into a million and one roadblocks along the way. But it's like, get on Google you know, start trying to figure out how either businesses or people before you dealt with that or figure out ways that it's been, you know, figure out ways that it can be um, taken care of. And I think, yeah, it's just that curiosity. I remember growing up, you'd look at, um, I always had a thing for like service-based businesses. Uh, I don't know why, but I always was interested in that whole entire model and how they worked and is very much like your business is almost as good as your people, especially in when, when you have service-based people client facing. Um, and so I think that's kind of where my customer comes first, always mentality comes from. And I always try to teach Sean, who I have is my younger brother who is uh, working with us as well as Clay, who is our, uh, is one of our designers. And it's just like, Listen, people are working to make money and they're choosing your business to spend money at. So take care of them. Like you've, I, I feel a, a visceral obligation to do my best to make sure everything is right on their end, regardless of, you know, maybe we got to take a hit of like sending refunds or replacing product. It's just is what it is. That's business. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. You are also a giant reader. I know I've asked you for like your audible recommendations and what you're reading. Is there any book in particular that really stuck with you um, that has been about business? Kind of cliche. I feel like they're on everybody's list. Lean Startup is extremely good. Uh, there's also Zero to One. Yeah, I think those are probably my two favorites. I'm like glancing over here because I have them stacked on my desk. Yeah, as far as like strictly business goes... The, those two are, are probably my favorite. I'm, I have the e-myth revisited on my list. I know that's like the holy grail for a lot of people. Uh, I'll get to that this year at some point. Yeah. No, my reading list honestly is like so freaking long, especially this summer. I feel like everybody in the past two years, probably because of the pandemic, has just been ripping through books and I've gotten so many good book recommendations out of it. But now my my to read list is getting a lot longer than my has 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 read list this summer to be honest with you, but yeah, I've always heard like, yeah. But lean startup obviously has made a huge impact on on a ton of people, so that's really awesome that you were able to check that out. And you're an extremely hard worker. Obviously, working those two jobs at the same time um, must have just been not super duper fun. 
Um, and something that I notice a lot is the difference in which kind of being a founder and working for yourself difference like presents itself differently on different platforms. So on TikTok, I see a lot of people glorifying the life of founders and working for yourself. Um, whereas on Twitter, I kind of see this more like Gary V-esque kind of energy where people are talking about hustle culture and how like you won't get anywhere if you don't like grind, 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 like work hard. Which side of business do you think is more accurate to being a founder in your case? You know, I, th- I think it's a balance, right? I, I think that with social media, you run into the issue of people glamorizing being a founder or being kind of just an entrepreneur in general. Like you'll, I mean, spend any time on any of the social medias and you'll see it's like always people selling courses and they have the Lamborghinis and like they're going out to like the clubs and all, and all of that stuff. And they're essentially just selling you on a lifestyle, which like, I think if you're young and impressionable can be convoluted because then you associate that with just being an entrepreneur, working for yourself. It is what it like work hard, play hard type, like that whole thing. I, whenever I make videos about, especially like day in the life videos are pretty uh, common, especially on TikTok. And it's like, I'm behind my computer for a lot of hours on the day, right? Like I get up early. I have to deal with manufacturers overseas. You know, I have manufacturers in on Thailand, like on the Thailand time zone. And, um, you're just always dealing with something. And I, I think like, Well, you can certainly enjoy it when you're a founder, especially when you have people on payroll, you're now responsible for their livelihoods, right? So you have this burden that you can't really ever shake. And so I think that sometimes um, founders can run into the issue of trying to escape through not the healthiest means. And ultimately, they end up run down and then like work performance suffers, all of that. And they're just you know, so I just try to give an accurate representation. I don't have a Lamborghini, you know, business is extremely strong, but at the same time, you just have to keep building. Like, you, like I, you can't ever think that you've arrived, right? You always have to kind of keep climbing and, and climbing, climbing. So it's, I guess it was a mix of like hustling all the time and trying to enjoy what you've built. But at the same time, like, it's, it's, I would not say glamorous. Yeah. Why do you think that you're so geared into business? Like you seem like you're an absolute, just for lack of a better term, beast in this space. So when you say you wake up early, you're not just talking about like the regular 6am early. Like when we first started talking and about this recording, I was like, yeah, like feel free to schedule in the morning. I wake up fairly early. My self thinking six, six thirty was early. And you're like, yeah, me too. And then as the conversation for like kept moving on, I realized that your early meant 4 a.m., right? Um, so you're waking up at 4 a.m. You're dealing with people in Thailand. You're still able to keep like a stellar workout routine and you're running a business. Where do you think this like strong, um, first off, I guess, phenomenal time blocking. Um, where do you think this phenomenal time blocking is coming from? And also like, where are you getting this energy to keep going? Yeah, I think it's probably twofold, right? Like I have um, extremely hardworking parents. Uh, my dad is the one who kind of uh, I watched growing up, get up extremely early. Um, I mean, to this day, he wakes up around 345. So 
Um, he starts early and then I think it's kind of like, as you get older, you figure out when, when am I going to do my best work? Right? Like there are people that work best at night. So that's kind of how they're, they tailor their routine for them. For me, most creative and, um, you know, in my flow state when, when everybody else is asleep and like the, the world hasn't really woken up and I, and I love that time. Emails aren't pouring in, you know, it's like, there's no fire drills. I can just like bang out work. And then I think. The other side of that coin is like, I don't even know if, if it's good to admit, but like, there's this crippling fear of like, are you going to ever reach your potential? Like, where is the ceiling? Right. And yeah. I think you can see it manifest in, uh, the way I've approached running and just kind of like slowly like checking off boxes of, okay, we do this, this fast, like what's next. And it's like, okay, let's just push it until we either break or we oh. break through and so it's and it's so it's like this weird dynamic and it's all inside of my head right but um that yeah that kind of just like lights the fire it's just like I, I almost view it as a game within myself yeah i don't know i get that i get that it's a gamifying your life which i've actually seen a really good uh productivity video on that i'm a productivity junkie I'm not sure if you are, but I'm definitely one of those people that is constantly like a bunch of the books I read are self-help books. A bunch of the videos I watch are also about like optimizing my time because obviously it's the one thing you can't get back. So the same way that like finance is really interesting to me because it's like a finite resource in like the case where I grew up like in college, like I had a minimum wage job. So money wasn't something that like was flowing in. Um, your time is something that also fe feels right now at this point in my life, something that I kind of have to structure a lot more than other people because I do work West Coast hours. So I wake up really early because the morning I'm again, happy you said the flow state even because that's again, I mean, that's I also where I feel um, the most, I don't know, necessarily creative, but definitely the most driven and inspired is early in the morning. So that's when I get things like my grocery shopping done. And that's also when I get things done, like personal projects. If I want to start writing a lot more, if um, I know we're going to be having like a taping later in the day that I have to write notes for, I'd rather sit that down, get that knocked out really early in the morning when I have no distractions and I'm 100% on like my coffee first hits and I'm good to go. Um, then a little bit later in the day where I'm kind of feeling dragged on. And the video, um, by the way, that I'm talking about that talks about gamifying your life, I believe is by this YouTuber that goes by Better Ideas. And I would highly recommend anybody checking him out. Better Ideas is a wicked, awesome account. I really, really like a lot of his content. And most of it's about productivity. Um, some of it is about like how he battled social anxiety and things like that. But that was the first place where I ever kind of heard about kind of treating your life like a video game and just learning to level up. And do you have any advice um, to people listening, especially people that are young and want to become founders on how they can level up? I think it's hard, right? Like, because if you are just starting out, you're kind of looking for either answers or maybe someone to tell you what to do specifically. And the way I've always looked at it is like, if you, if you break out your days into blocks, right? Like, or bricks and like, you just slowly work toward your end goal, whatever that may be. And you'll find that when you get there, ultimately the goalpost is just going to move a little bit further away, but you just keep continually stacking bricks. You know, after a while you're standing on this extremely sturdy foundation of positive days, right? So you might get knocked back a couple days, like, you know, stuff happens and that's just part of life. 
but you still have your foundation built up. And as long as you maintain a healthy routine, just give yourself the most amount of chances to make the right decisions and either have enough time after you do make a mistake to rectify it or you know just like keep plowing forward um and yeah i think a a lot of people get hung up on the analysis paralysis type deal just start right start fall on your face get up dust yourself off like keep going and start again you know like why not um don't then and don't really fear failure don't feel uh any sort of maybe insecurity about about other people looking at what you're doing like in the beginning when you start anything everyone's always just going to call it oh you're like little project until it actually goes somewhere and then they're like oh now you're doing something don't worry about it you know yeah keeping on blinders is obviously really really difficult uh, especially when it feels like a lot of the times your whole life is um almost on black i feel like a Nowadays, I feel like a lot of founders, especially the ones I guess that I've been speaking to lately, have been putting their lives on blast, right? So your life, um, whether that be like what you're doing outside of work along with your job, those are both posted on TikTok. How were you able to kind of like keep those blinders on and really focus in on what you're doing and being like, okay, I don't care what like people from college are saying about my TikTok account. Like I'm doing me right now. Like where, how do you, how do you focus in on that and kind of drown out that noise? I think it's easier if you're making content that's just true to who, who you are, right? As soon as you start to try to fake a personality or, you know, fake being something that you're not, then either people that actually know you, it becomes like awkward if they know about your stuff. And like, so I always went into it of, If I end up ever meeting people that watch my content, I want them to just be like, this is exactly how he is online, right? So um, it was always just like, stay true to what you do and what you enjoy and don't get caught up in thinking you're something you're not. Just, you know, head down, focus on your work and... No, just, just don't, don't, don't do it to the point where you lose the creative spark, but make sure that like you're putting effort or providing value in anything that you are doing. Yeah. And it's been really interesting to see your online presence grow along with your business, because when you first started um, minted, you said you had around 40,000 followers, I believe on TikTok. Like, what's that number now? And I would like, after you say that number, can you tell us a little bit more about the importance of personal brand? Yeah. So, uh, we're a bit over 300,000 now. And as far as personal brands go, I know that we had, um, probably pretty much just going to say what I said at, uh, at coffee. Um, because I think it's really important, right? Like companies now, and I think this is a bit of like mm, archaic thinking where you have these corporations that they don't really want you to build a personal brand outside of work. Uh, for probably fear of losing, you know, top talent. And I think that the companies that succeed in the future are going to encourage, um, people to build personal brands outside of work. Not only that, but like if you have a big personal brand outside of work and you are attached to whatever company you are working at, it reflects well on the company. I mean, I guess if your personal brand is like decent and not like you haven't totally trashed it, but it reflects well on the company. And like, like the company I used yesterday, Triple Whale, 
They're an analytics platform. They're doing insanely good stuff, but I know their entire marketing department and the way that they encourage their whole team to build personal brands outside of, you know, working at Triple Whale. It's been incredible to see. And I think that that that's kind of the way forward for a lot of companies, especially now, like as a lot of stuff has shifted to work from home and um, you're not just like stuck in the office all the time. Like people have lives outside of work. That's, that's how it is. And that's how it should be. So they should be able to build personal brands and around the things they enjoy. Yeah. And my boss has been very open. He actually spoke recently, um, Jason, along with Molly also touched on this. So Molly is the most recent host to come on um, this week in startups. And obviously she had a very strong personal brand previously. She killed it at NPR, killed it at um, Marketplace, NPR Hall of Fame. Like this woman is a beast. So she had a personal brand coming into this week in startups, which has definitely helped our show because she carries that along with her. And Jason also has added that he supports people who work on his show to have their own personal brand. He's very okay with me um, having, you know, like tweeting, like I let, I let my bosses like follow me on Twitter, which might be like a little bit different than most people and being like tweeting about my, my job and having my, my bosses interact with it. Obviously I'm not out here saying like, ah, man, like my, my boss is not going to hate it here. But like my my bosses definitely can see into like that portion of my life. And I think it's really interesting because obviously um, having a personal brand in this kind of field is helpful. And at the same time, I think um, kids or people that are Gen Z that are feeling like, oh, man, like I, I wish I could like have more of a personal brand, but like my my bosses won't let me. I also think that they should take into consideration that I I'm not seeing a lot of people create like this barrier between their life and their social media presence. And as good as having a personal brand is, I'm always nervous about like pioneering and maybe going off a little bit more on social media and trying to cultivate the personal brand idea more because I like having like that separation. What advice do you have on people um, for people that want to build their personal brand, but also keep their life to themselves? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, uh, there's a dichotomy there, right? Because if, if you want a personal brand that's pretty public, uh, you have to be willing to share uh, pu- stuff publicly. I think that when you start to post on social media, you lose a bit of your, not maybe not your right, but you lose a bit of your um, kind of sense of separation. And that's just all part of it. Right. Like you don't, you don't build up a community by being super closed off. Like people know about what you're doing, or like things you're going through or what you're working on. Or, you know, if you're building up uh, a community and you're known as someone that's really, really smart in a certain field and you're tweeting out all of this important stuff, I think maybe that's probably a bit easier to keep it separate. Cause it's not, it's almost like you're not a, just a lifestyle type, um, creator. And you're, you're more just like, you know, information based. But I, I think it also depends on the medium. Like you could be putting out newsletters, right? Super detailed, like crazy good newsletters. Uh, that's a much different connection than if you're lifestyle vlogging on YouTube or TikTok. So maybe pick your platform and see, you know, 
what is it that you really want to get out of it? Do you want to be vlogging your life or do you want to be just writing articles uh, on, on a newsletter? Where can people find Minted and when do you guys expect like your, your next place or the next time people can actually order clothes from you? So uh, all things apparel uh, is mintednewyork.com. Uh, everything else from the health side is minted.health. And uh, so we have a huge collection of athletic apparel. I just actually got the top samples, which is the stuff they pull off the production line, came in yesterday. That is going to be, it's being loaded into a cargo container right now. And then probably release around the beginning of September. Nice. <laughs> Granted, I don't know. You know, we got to get it, unpack it, get the warehouse ready, ready yeah, to supply ship chain. everything. Uh, yeah, there's a million places where all of that can go wrong. Um, will the athletic uh, stuff then yeah. though be with um, with the health side, or will that be with New York because it's still clothing? That's that's minted New York. Okay. Yeah. So uh, outside of that, we have trousers that were made here in New York City, three different um, colorways. Also releasing. I don't know when. Probably beginning of uh, August. The the thing is, like, I think a lot of people expect us to follow the normal fashion calendar: fall, winter, spring, summer, that type deal. We just release as we get it because we're just. I feel like always playing catch up. Like I'm just yeah. constantly spinning my wheels, trying to get my feet under me, and then we release, and it's like, all right, well, we'll just like do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really cool that you um, like had the trousers made in New York too. We had, we had a previous person come on the podcast named Eric Button and he has a fintech company called the contrast um, debit card I believe and if you have the debit card it gives you cash back when you buy made in America products so if people are interested in checking out Marcus's pants also check out the contrast debit card I can absolutely just plug that um, so that works awesome and then also where can people find you I am across pretty much every social media platform um, Instagram I think it's Marcus underscore Milioni. Uh, TikTok is just Marcus Milioni. Twitter, Marcus underscore Milioni. I don't even know my own handles. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then in any of those profiles, there's the whole link in bio thing, which has a ton of links to my other stuff. Minted New York, Minted Health, the Minted Minutes newsletter, all everything you could possibly want. Amazing. So by the way, everybody, you spell his last name because I had problems pronouncing it. M-I-L-I-O-N-E. Thank you so much, Marcus, for coming nice. on Thank this you. segment. Um, super excited to see when you guys drop your next line of clothing. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you uh, for having me on. It was a good time. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Tune in Sunday when Molly and I are going to do an amazing VC Sunday School and another This Week in Climate Startup interview. Enjoy your Saturday off. I know I sure will. And we'll see you on Sunday. Bye-bye.